Well, take your Bible, join me in uh, James chapter 4, and if you're our guest today, welcome to Cornerstone, and uh, I love that you are willing to stand up and tell us who you are. That's antithetical to everything church growth would tell you. You don't put anybody on the spot. They get to stay anonymous because they want to be anonymous, and I'm grateful to you who uh, were introduced today to us. Thank you for doing that. Number two, it helps us connect with you. This is a fellowship group, and uh, we have a large service in the main sanctuary where really thousands will gather, and um, that's exciting, and that's wonderful, and we get to hear the Word of God and music that is uh, really tough to replicate any place, but it's hard to have fellowship in the sanctuary, and this is a fellowship group because God's people need fellowship. They need relationship. You cannot become what God wants you to be simply because you know the Bible. You know the Bible, and that Bible gets translated into real life as you engage real life with people. And a lot of people underestimate the power of iron sharpening iron, stimulating one another to love and good deeds. Um, We need each other. And you need to intentionally pursue that relationship that will allow you to be Uh, really impacted and influenced as a Christian because you can't be what you're supposed to be without the people of God. You need the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and you need the people of God. And I don't know how I can be any plainer. It's not a Sunday thing uh, only. Uh, Obviously, even in this fellowship group, it's rather large. And uh, hopefully you're sitting in places where you're getting to know the people around you. That's a good thing. But those Bible studies you saw up earlier, and by the way, pray for Daniel that he makes it back next week after inviting all of you to date night. Um, <laughs> what happened to Daniel? Well, he just, something happened. He's not here. We can't find him. Um, so uh, thank you for the hospitality of the Pasadena Bible study. Um, but I hope you'll uh, be proactive, not let life govern, uh, but priorities in life govern. Um, and that's my encouragement to you. Well... You'll be excited to know we're in a new paragraph today. So after many weeks, and yeah, don't be too celebrative. It could hurt my feelings, and I'll be humbled. Um, but we are in two verses, James chapter 4. Now you remember that James is God's instruction, oldest book in the New Testament, the pastor of Jerusalem talking to the people, Hebrew Christians, converts who have been dispersed like seed all over the Roman Empire. And he's talking to them with passion and compassion. The word brethren or beloved is used throughout this little letter. So it's, it's the kind heart of a pastor, but it has over 60 imperatives. And an imperative means you need to do this, like a coach would tell his team. This is what I want from you. You need to be doing this. These are non-negotiables. And so it has authoritative like a father shepherding God's people saying, listen, real faith looks like this. Because you can say, I'm a Christian. You can say, I have faith, and not actually have it. Now, that's not just bad for you. That's bad for the world around you. Because I I said it Friday in chapel, the best apologetic for Christianity is your life. It's not just the things you say and the defenses you give, it's the life you live. And James is saying, this is real Christianity. This is the lifestyle. And these are the convictions of a biblical Christian. And perhaps he had heard that God's people were struggling to live their faith, and so this little letter goes out, and it's very practical. It's called, really, the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's wisdom and Christianity. So it's not, hey, live with joy in difficulty. Hey, be equitable and fair when you deal with people of different stratas of society. This is not an exhortation to be something. This is a challenge to stop doing something. He's just been talking about the incompatibility of self-centeredness and worldliness. He's talked about the necessity of faithful humility, faithful to God, humble before God, so you can enjoy great grace and help from God. 
now with these two verses, he introduces another, thou shalt not. So follow with me. This would be a contradiction to real Christianity, a necessary focus that can inhibit your testimony and actually call into question your profession. Verse 11, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, you're a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are your neighbor? I wrestled with a, uh, a good title for this today, and I landed on this kind of exhortational type of a statement, a challenging statement housed in this text, and I'm going to start it this way. Stop playing God. Because housed in this behavior is, I'm usurping the place of God. And then my subtitle is, The Truth, The Tragedy, and The Trouble of Tearing Down with Your Tongue. So I got the T's going. The Truth the tragedy, the trouble of tearing down with your tongue. Stop playing God and putting down the people of God. It is a contradiction, and it is a direct and clear prohibition because the passage begins, do not speak against one another. Now, in the Greek language, the tense of this verb is called a present imperative of prohibition. And I tell you that because we have seminary people in here, we have people who know the original language, and it's meant to help you, not impress you. But it is also meant to help you understand that the beauty of the Greek language is its, its clarity. The beauty of Greek, unlike English, which can be taken a lot of different ways, it's very precise which is beautiful when unpacking doctrinal and important truths of the Word of God. This says, if we're going to interpret it literally based on the tense of the verb, stop speaking against one another. It's not talking about what you do tomorrow. Don't speak against one another. It includes that. But the assumption is it's happening And it needs to stop, present tense, now, not tomorrow. You could read it this way, stop and don't ever speak against one another. It's a contradiction. It's a violation. And we'll get to the reasons why. I want to begin with the truth about speaking down or speaking against. And the reason I want to take a little bit of time to unpack this word and its meaning is because of the different ways it's translated. Sometimes in the Legacy Standard Bible and um, the NIV, uh, it reads, do not slander one another. Stop slandering one another. The NASB, which I just read, says, do not speak against one another. Do not speak evil of one another. The Greek word translated here is made up of two words. One, to talk. Laleo, just to talk. The other, the connected word, is talk against or talk down. Literally, the idea is to talk down one person to another person and to lower the one hearing your opinion about someone else, it lowers their worth. So it has the idea of lowering or diminishing value by talking down someone. And housed in this, the reason slander gets tucked in here is because it happens when they're not there. Stop that. Slander, by definition, means that what you're saying is not true which is why it's not my favorite way to translate this word. Because it doesn't matter if what you're saying is true or not true. Well, certainly it's worse if it's not true. 
But he's not saying, well, then if it's true, what you think about Harry and you're sharing with someone else, if it's true, have at it. That is not what is being said. If it talks down, if it tears down, if it speaks in a way that's negative and diminishing and defaming, true or not true, you can't do it. It's not Christian. It's not consistent. It doesn't matter whether it's true or not true. The emphasis is not on the falseness of the report, i.e. slander. The emphasis is on the spirit in which the report is given. True or false, it is meant to tear down, not build up. The Old Testament would use common words that you'd be familiar with, and it's translated backbiting or tail-bearing. It means to depreciate. The Old Testament word is an interesting word because the word tailbearer, which is synonymous with this, and by the way, the antonym or the antithesis, the opposite of this word is to praise someone. Not to tear them down, but to elevate them with words, to affirm them, to share things that elevate and highlight what's good as opposed to what's not good. The Old Testament word for this practice is derived from a word which referred to a merchant who traveled up and down trafficking in spices. And the Old Testament word is the word for spice. So you had merchants who would travel from town to town selling spices. And the practice that comes from this Rakil, which is a subset of the word for spice, involves one who travels from place to place, from person to person, trafficking in spicy stories. Or at least you'll be interested in this, and I'll enjoy your attention for a while because of my spicy story. Spicy stories which do damage to the reputation of others. And you would say, well, hey, that's not me. Well, let me offer you some maybe symptoms or signals of this in real time so you don't deceive yourself, which certainly I'm inclined to do, so you don't miss this if it's present in you because it's a contradiction to your claim. Perhaps it would sound like this. Hey, maybe I shouldn't say this, but. Or, I don't mean to be critical, but. Have you heard? Sometimes it can come out as a prayer request. It can be a little more subtle. Hey, pray for Harry. He's going through a hard time. I hear he and Karen are just having a really rough time. I'm not sure. I think he's working too much. He's probably traveling too much. Do you hear that? Pray for him gives you permission to share something when I'm not there that is not helpful to me, but hurtful to me. Sometimes you can, maybe if you're a gal in our groups, sometimes it can sound like this. You know, she really, somebody would say, she really dresses nice. And you might say, well, I would dress nice too if I spent every dime I had on clothes like hers. Ooh, she's really pretty. Well, I would be pretty too if I had that much makeup on. (laughs) Do you feel it? Or you're the roommate with a student who gets really good grades and somebody says, "Ah, he's a really good student. Well, if I was a nerd like him, I would be a good student too. And you can go on and on. You get the idea. You're taking something and you're talking in a way, you talk down, you tear down, you speak against, you devalue, you depreciate. Hey, he's a great athlete. Yeah, but he barely passes his classes. You get the idea. And what James is saying is, stop it. Stop it. Stop it right now. 
It's like the TSA. You're not going to go through with that bottle of water. I don't care how much you beg. (laughs) They're going to say it's in the can. It's that idea. Do not live another day or hour in the day and not deal with this unacceptable practice. It denies your faith. And listen to me, it misrepresents your faith. And Jesus said, look, you cause one of these little ones to stumble, you to have a big stone tied around your neck and somebody push you into the deep, deep dark sea. Be better to drown painfully than to be a representative who causes little ones, whether it's children in your family, friends you have to do with, because little ones is not just little people. It has to do with young hearts searching and seeking the things of God, and you are a barrier to that reality. Henry Drummond said this, how many prodigals are kept out of the kingdom of God by the unholy and unlovely characters of those who profess to represent it? Stop playing God because you put people down. Come to a full stop and resolve. Now, let me give you some color commentary, and I hope you have your Bible today. We're going to look at more verses than we normally do, and I could quote them because I've written them, not quote them, because I've memorized them all. Some I have. But I want you to see them. So I'd like you to join me, if you would, in Galatians chapter 5 for the flavor of these words in a context that helps you feel the weight of these words. Galatians chapter 5. Now, I am going to quote the law of Moses, the foundation stone, and we're going to circle back to it in the next point. You're looking at Galatians. I'm quoting Leviticus. Leviticus 19.16, God talking through Moses. Thou shall not go up and down as a talebearer. Among the people, neither shall you stand against the blood of your neighbor, which is to say the people closest to you, people who share your pedigree nationally or relationally, you are not to go up and down the traffic of your life, where your feet take you, up and down, here and there. You are to not go about as a talebearer. You're not to speak against your neighbor's. You shall not stand against them with your words. And listen to this. I am Yahweh. Now, Galatians chapter 5, and that's just kind of the baseline Old Testament. We're going to look at a few more passages, but I want you to feel this one because this is the living out of the transforming work of the gospel. And the work of Christ, verse 13 of chapter 5 results in liberty or freedom. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, Paul to the Galatians. You were called to freedom, brethren, only do not, because he's combating legalism. The freedom of living for Christ, not trying to please God through your religious righteousness. Only do not turn your freedom, this liberty, this grace, into an opportunity for the flesh. And we have that in our culture. We have this abuse of grace, this, I, I, I'm unfaithful, I'm a bad actor, but hey, aren't you glad God's gracious? Well, I am glad God's gracious, but you don't rejoice in the generosity of God by celebrating the foolishness of your sinfulness. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying in verse, four, verse the end of 13, Don't use that freedom for an opportunity to flesh, but through love, serve one another. Don't serve yourself. Verse 14, for the whole law, take the Old Testament and sum it all up in terms of practice, is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this applies so much to the section we were just in. You don't chase your own satisfaction, self-centeredness, your own pleasure, you are concerned about loving others, fulfilling the whole law with treating one another as you would want to be treated. Verse 14, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now watch verse 15. Take care 
that you're not consumed by one another. But if you bite, obviously he's going to talk about a practice that's potential and probable in the context of community, even among the people of God. You're to live in a loving way as you would want to be loved, but what is happening potentially is you bite and you devour. Only time bite is used, it has to do with tearing with the teeth, it has to do with harming someone with your mouth. Figuratively, it means to wound somebody's soul with your mouth. You bite them, which is why you get the idea of backbite, because you don't bite them face to face. Some of you might, but this pattern is, hey, I'm waiting till you get past me, and then I'm going to bite you. Anybody live near a dog that does that? They have developed a strategy, a tactic, which is when you're past them, they try to bite you from behind. That's the idea. And he's saying that's damaging. It's tearing, it's wounding, it's tearing with the teeth, and it's tearing down with the tongue. The word devour means to strip of goods, to ruin somebody and destroy someone, which gets to the idea of you cannibalize your own community. You eat one another, you destroy one another with mouth. Stop that. You can't tear up people or tear down people with your tongue. It's incongruous with the law of love. And it's inconsistent with walking in the Spirit because verse 16 says, but I'm telling you, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Listen, when I'm talking down someone, when I'm speaking against them, when I'm wounding their reputation, I'm not a spiritual follower. I'm a fleshly follower, if I'm a follower. Backbiting. All right, turn over with me to... uh, Yeah, let's do... uh, Psalm 101. No, let's do Psalm 50 first. You'd think I'd have this figured out by now. You say, Harry, why are we doing this? I want you to feel it. Because this is what's true of me, and I think it's true of most of us. We justify this package or this pattern. First of all, we've already been through James 3, and who can manage the tongue? Who can tame it? Nobody can tame it. You need God and the Spirit of God to help you control it. And this is one of the categories that James sees fit to focus on. And the implication in my view is that's because it's a problematic issue for the people of God despite their testimony of faith and grace, despite the fact that we're family. And it's unfortunate, I think, sometimes as family, we can do harm to each other. But Psalm 50, verse 16, gives you a flavor of how this word is used. Verse 16, but to the wicked, I want you to notice wicked, God says, what right have you to tell of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? Okay, what right do you have to promote the truth? You're wicked. How are you wicked? Verse 17, you hate discipline. You cast my words behind you. You don't apply it. You set it aside. You act like it's not important. I'll tell you how it could be said. You're blowing me off. So don't talk for me if you're not willing to accept truth from me. You diminish it. You don't apply it. No discipline. You hate that. Verse 18, when you see a thief, you're pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. In my Bible, I wrote, you're worldly. You blow God off, you're worldly. That's why he defines and characterizes you as wicked. But look at verse 19. And you let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue frames deceit. Verse 20, you sit and you speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. You know what that is? Inconsistent with righteousness. That's what wicked people do. They're worldly. They they celebrate 
impropriety and unholy living. You associate with adulterers. You blow God off. And you let your tongue loose, and you're willing to harm without boundaries even the people closest to you. That's wicked, and that's unacceptable. Psalm 101. Turn over a few pages to Psalm 101. This is a psalm of David. The profession of uprightness is the way the pericope reads at the beginning of this section. Pericope meaning a little subheading. 101, David talking. This is how righteousness looks in real life. And this is how it is characterized. Verse 2, I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I'm ready, God. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. So whenever you come, I'm ready. My house is clean and in order. How or how is that order, that integrity manifested? Verse 3, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. Think internet. It shall not fasten its grip on me. Verse 4, a perverse heart will shall depart from me. I will know no evil. I'm not going to practice it. I'm not going to entertain it. I'm going to remove it. I have integrity, and my house is clean, and my heart's in order. I don't know when you're coming, but I'm ready. Now look at what verse 5 says as a characteristic of upright, integrous living. Whoever secretly slanders. Now, the word slander translated here is simply, and literally, it's only used twice in the Bible. It literally is, uses their tongue negatively. And again, I want to fight the idea that slander means I'm saying something that's not true. Well, that's what slander does mean. But this word is not restricted to untruth that you tell secretly behind somebody's back. It's negative speak when they're not present. Whoever secretly slanders or uses his tongue negatively of his neighbor, close companion, proximity, relationally, him I will destroy. Now, I'm not advocating that if you're righteous, you go beat the tar out of somebody, destroy them. The word destroy can be silence them, and it's not silence like the mafia would silence somebody. You stop them. Psalm 15 is a description of a citizen of the city of God, a person right with God and a citizen of the kingdom of God. And verse 1 says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Summarized, who will you enjoy fellowship with? Who will you allow to enter your presence? Who will you allow to enjoy intimacy with you? Verse 2, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Verse 3, the one I'm going to allow in my presence is the one who does not slander. Now, that's the word for talebearer. The NASB translates it slander. It's somebody who traffics in spicy stories. He does not speak maliciously with spicy stories with his tongue, speak against or speak down, nor does he take do evil to his neighbor. Now watch the end of verse 3. Nor takes up a reproach against his friends. Now this introduces two sides to this. Number one is, if you're going to enjoy intimacy with God, You've got to stop speaking negatively and hurtfully about the people of God. And then the end of verse 3 says, and you've got to stop receiving those stories from people about the people of God. There's tail bearing, which is forbidden, and tail hearing, which is forbidden. In other words, I can't control your tongue Tacitus said this, but I can master my ears. Which means you may do something you shouldn't do, but I'm not going to do something I shouldn't do, which is listen to the negative sensed words you are endeavoring to share with me. Hey, Harry, have you heard this? 
No, actually, I haven't heard it, and I don't want to hear it. Because two people get injured, actually three. The person propagating the evil is going to endure the consequences of God's judgment or God's discipline. And the person hearing the negative report is going to be corrupted. And both of you are going to be biblically defiled. You're going to be disqualified from what? The best intimate fellowship possible. And if a person who you're speaking about hears about your betrayal, the negative speak you make when they're not there, the presumption of motive, the assigning of responsibilities or viewpoints that are yours that's injurious to them, and again, true or not true, guess what other relationship you have damaged? Your relationship with them. Because you can't have intimacy with the people of God, enjoy fellowship with God, which happens among his people. If you're damaging the trust essential for that intimacy, and you do it with your tongue. Hey, have you heard? Hey, pray for somebody will be injured by the hearing of that translation of your so-called Christian affection and concern. The speaker, someone has said, three people are hurt when backbiting or talking down others. Three people, the speaker, because what's happening, the hearer and the person who has talked down. The person talked down is injured, breaks trust with them and prevents trust with others. Because listen, if you get the reputation that you're that kind of person, guess who wants to have a relationship with you? Look, if you're talking to me about Mark, or Nathan, what is it that would cause me to go, man, he couldn't possibly be talking like that about me. Because what I see you do with me is what you do. So let me give you a couple of things. I'm just going to stop for a minute because of the tragedy of this and the truth about this and the possibility of this and the incompatibility of this. Let me give you two, two ways to avoid the pain and the penalty. Number one, you resolve and renounce today the practice of backbiting and speaking evil or speaking against someone. Today. Right now. What is it? Uh, 1014. Is it the 22nd today? January 22nd. I'm drawing a line. I get it. I'm not blowing it off. I'm owning it. The best thing that can happen to a Christian is the Spirit of God convince them by His grace in a way that provokes a recognition, a proper recognition. That's what we saw at the end of the last section. Miserable, weep, mourn, joy to gloom because I get it, I own it, and I'm dealing with it. And God gives grace. Renounce it which is a way of saying, that's wrong. This pattern and this behavior, I'm committing today. I'm renouncing it, and I'm resolving. Number two, I'm refusing, and I'm rebuking. The refusing is for the tail hearer. Refuse to hear the backbiter's report. Refuse, Psalm 15, verse 3, to take up a reproach against a friend. I'm not hearing it. Listen to me. The, the energy, the, the momentum of being a, hey, listen to me and my spicy story gets greatly depreciated if they can't sell it anywhere. Nobody's buying the spices. To grant hearing a hearing to such a one makes your ear as guilty as their tongue. Therefore, such comments should never be heard, but only discouraged. And you should express godly anger. I want to read a verse. This is Proverbs 25, 
verse 23, the north wind drives away rain. So does the angry countenance a backbiting tongue. Now, since you're turning, I'll give you the other way it gets translated. The north wind, I'm going to give you the first one. The north wind drives backbiting tongue. Stop it. I'm not having it. It drives away the practice. Now, the LSB and other translations will say the north wind brings rain. What's interesting, the rain's coming off the Mediterranean. So if it's coming from the north, the wind, it drives it away because the wind's from the north. The rain's coming from the west. But however you take it, it still works because the LSB says the north wind brings forth rain and a tongue of secrets, that's the backbiter, an indignant face. So the north wind brings rain and a tongue of secrets, an indignant face. So if you want to take it the way I believe you need to take it is, the indignant face is my face when you're sharing with me things you shouldn't be sharing with me. You could also say it brings an indignant face when the person who you're talking about hears about it. Just like the north wind brings rain, indignation follows, backbiting tail-bearing, a tongue of secrets, or it drives it away. Either way, it works. Here's the punctuation point I want to offer you today. The reason this happens so much is we tolerate it. And I'm not saying you have to be ugly, but you have to be clear and resolved. I'm not listening. Yeah, 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 but you didn't know. I don't need to hear it. If it's not edifying, you shouldn't be saying it. And if it's not going to minister grace to those who hear, it's disqualified Ephesians chapter 4. I mean, what would you do if they took God's name in vain? If one of you comes up and, or I come up and I deride, diminish, defame God, are you going to go, that's cool? I'll listen. You're not going to listen to that. You shouldn't listen to that. It's that same idea. It's intolerable, and it needs to be dealt with. Listen. A Christian testifies to real faith by what they do with their tongue. And our tongue needs to be resolved to edification, affirmation, encouragement so that people are elevated, not damaged. Does anybody want to make the claim that I've got nothing that you can find that you could possibly, nothing you could find that would injure me if you reported it? Of course you can find something wrong with me. And if you talk to the people closest to me, they will illuminate you as to what is less than best about me. Are you different than me? We are people in process. And what's forbidden in our Christianity is injuring and harming with our mouth when people aren't there. It's wicked. It's unacceptable. Why does James say this is such trouble? Go back to James chapter 4. I gave you some reasons. But he's going to offer some other big reasons why this must stop and stop today. Because this involves judging. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, they go together. The way the grammar is written, if you're a speak against person, you're a judging of them person. Housed in negative speak is the idea that 
backbiters, down talkers commonly assume negative motives of those you're talking down. Ah, she's just wearing that dress to show off. All that he cares about is money. He's just trying to look spiritual. Hey, that guy, he's just interested in her looks. Do you feel it? There's just this assignment of motivation. Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is being assaulted 3 through 5 with bad behavior, bad motivations. And Paul says, I don't examine or judge myself when it comes to motives because I can't even discern my own motives. Hey, maybe we ought to look. 1 Corinthians 4, because you're looking at me like, I don't know that passage. (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Now, what's about to follow is the implication is that we are not good stewards and we're not trustworthy. Verse 3, but to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined, housed in that word is judged or assessed, by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, verse 4, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. Now watch this. Yet I am not by this acquitted. Hey, my motives are pure. Well, you may or may not have pure motives. Paul's saying, I can't really tell. And if I think I have pure motives, that doesn't mean I don't have impure ones. I'm not acquitted by this just because I'm not aware of it. But the one who examines, then each man's praise will come to him from God. All right, don't miss this. Judging is a part of speaking against someone. And housed in speaking against someone is the assumption that you know things you may not know. Has anybody ever accused you of something you weren't guilty of? As a matter of fact, you were innocent. I used to have a a German shepherd that would chase my motorcycle. That's where I got the, the biting in the back. This German shepherd would wait until I was partway by with my dirt bike, and he was a master at it. And I would try to go slow until I saw him make a break for me, and then I would throttle as hard as I could. I hated this dog. (laughs) I never did anything to him. I'm just a kid enjoying the dirt bike, country roads, southern New Jersey. Well, one day he got beside me, and he ran between the front tire and the engine and just took us both down. And because I landed on him, the injuries to me were not as great. Just had some road burn on the right side. And he ran off scared to death. But you know what? He didn't stop. So what Harry did is I got a bottle, squirt bottle, and I put ammonia in it. And I didn't even dilute it much. (laughs) I was going to discourage bad behavior. Well, I'll tell you what that did. It worked. Well, I was at a friend's house on Sunday night after church. I had that bottle in the car, and I had washed it out, cleaned it out, didn't need it, filled it with water. And as I was leaving the friends of my family's home, one of my best buddies, we spent time Sunday nights after church. My parents enjoyed fellowship with his parents. And he had a little brother. Donnie was my friend. Doug was like three years younger, and little brothers can be what? Annoying, right? They want to interrupt a good time. They want to be a part of it, but they don't know how to be a part of it. And I don't know, but on the way out, Doug was annoying. I just turned around. I had my squirt bottle. I don't even remember why I had it. I just squirted it at him. Oh, my goodness. He lit up like a Christmas tree, or that's probably not a good illustration. He lit up like he was on fire. He started rubbing his eyes. He ran to his parents. Do you know there was residual ammonia in the bottle? My motive wasn't to burn his eyes. My motive was to squirt him and say, stop it. Well, you know what? 
His parents weren't buying that, and my parents weren't buying that. My life for a season was tough because somebody, you did it on purpose. I don't know what you were thinking. You say, why are you telling that story? Because I still remember it. I'm 64 years old, and I was like 14. You ever been misrepresentative, misrepresented by motives? Yes, you have. That's just one little installment out of maybe many installments that could have been chosen to say when somebody presumes a motive that's not yours, it is hurtful. And what Paul says is be careful about your claims of innocence because motives are hard to discern. As a matter of fact, there's only, some, only one person that can discern it. And that discerning revelation day is when he returns and the heart is examined, and the motives are revealed. So talking down involves judging. And listen, Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not lest you be judged. Get the board out of your own eye. You're not qualified unless you're dealing with heart issues. Number two, the other reason there's trouble with this is not only because judging is involved, but down-talking and judging are a violation of the law of God. It tears down not just a person, but the law of God, which says you can't do it. Notice what it says in verse 11, you speak against the law and you judge the law. What law? The law that says you can't do this, and you're saying, oh yeah, I can. I'm setting the law aside. Let me read how I would like you to understand this. Every sin is an affront of the law of God that forbids it. And by practicing that which a law forbids, we speak against its integrity and we judge it unfit for practice. Nah, not for me. That's not a big deal. God might say it's a big deal, but I'm setting that law aside. I'm speaking against it. I'm undermining the authority of it, and the veracity of it. I'm tearing it down and standing in judgment, yes, of even the law of God, which forbids it, and yet I do it. Now, turn back to Leviticus 19. We'll look at this, and then we'll be done. This is a two-parter, so don't worry. This is thick with implications, and the reason why we're taking our time to look at it is I would like to help you own it and resolve not to do it. And here I'd like to give you a little color as it relates to it. You speak against and you judge the law. Here's the law, and I want you to feel it again, and that's why we're reading chapter 19, Leviticus 19.1. The Lord Yahweh spoke to Moses, that's the prophet, the lawgiver, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and this is what you're to say to them. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, Yahweh, your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh, your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods, I am Yahweh, your God. Now look up for a minute. You think he's serious? Yes, he is serious. He keeps signing it with his name. Verse 11, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name. Verse 12, so as to profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh, the Lord. Serious? Serious. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. In other words, don't delay payment when payment is due. You shall not curse a deaf man nor place a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall revere God. I am Yahweh. Verse 15, you shall, not, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go up, here it is, verse 16, you shall not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am Yahweh. 
You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. So you can address wrongdoing, but how you address it is to him, not to harry about him. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. Vengeance says, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Grudge says, I'm never going to forget this. I'm going to hold it against you. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Have you heard that before? I am Yahweh. Now listen, Abner Chow is the president of the Master's University. If Abner sends me a directive and signs his name, it's not like a peer sending me a directive. If Johnny sends me a directive, I'll decide whether I want to do it. (laughs) But if Abner's name is at the bottom, it's non-negotiable. This is God's name at the... Sorry, Johnny, I may have offended you and I did it in public. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Listen, my boss signs his name. It's non-negotiable. Your boss, your sovereign king of everything signed his name and says, I'm Yahweh. You can't do this. And it's serious. And don't act like it's not serious. Because when you do, you're standing in judgment against my prescriptive requirements and you're undermining the glory of, the weight of, and the reality of God's word, God's will. And that's not cool. Stop it. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word today. And Lord, I do pray, recognizing that there's nobody probably that isn't in need of some assessment and some adjustment. And that includes the speaker today. And it's my prayer that we would elevate this priority the way that James has and the way you have. Because we do want to enjoy fellowship with you. We don't want to be numbered with the wicked. Lord, we don't want to be on the outside looking in of the fellowship of your people and the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are all prone to be careless to make judgments that aren't ours to make. And even if we have a proper assessment, Lord, if it's hurtful and negative, we're not to secretly share it, but to constructively deal with it. Lord, that's my prayer. Somewhere we'll witness a community that lives the law of love, loving one another as we would want to be loved to the glory of God and the honor of Jesus Christ, our master, in whose name I pray. And all God's men and women said, amen. Amen. God bless you.